The Guardian. Questions to the Prime Minister, Fabian Hamilton. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending our condolences to the family and friends of Royal Air Force Sergeant Dwayne Barwood, who died in Iraq on Friday. To him and to others who have lost their lives, we owe a huge debt of gratitude. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Vivian Hamilton. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'd like to endorse the comments of the Prime Minister. Um, Poverty pay in this country uh, was largely eradicated by the national minimum wage legislation brought in by this government ten years ago. Will my right honourable friend reassure my constituents and this House that it will continue to rise in line with average earnings and that he will maintain his commitment to high employment and investment in our public services? Mr. Mr. Speaker, uh, I am pleased to announce that the minimum wage will rise to £5.73 this October. This will be a 60% rise on the original minimum wage in 1999. Some people said the minimum wage would cost us two million jobs. We have a rising minimum wage and we have created three million jobs. And I'm also delighted to say that in contrast to what others are suggesting, that £10 billion of tax cuts will be paid for by huge cuts in public spending, we will maintain public services in health, education, transport, infrastructure and to children and pensioners. We will keep our promises on public services. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Sergeant Dwayne Barwood, who was killed on Friday in Basra. His family live in my constituency, and our thoughts and prayers are with them as they honour his memory. Does the Prime Minister think that if he held a referendum on the Lisbon Treaty, he would win it? Mr Speaker, no country in Europe apart from Ireland is holding a referendum on the Constitutional Treaty. We won't start with shouting the Prime Minister down or the Leader of the Opposition. Prime Minister. Speaker, if, if this was a constitutional treaty, we would hold a referendum. If there was a vote on a euro, we'd hold a referendum. But the constitutional concept was abandoned, and that's why the nine countries who proposed a referendum, including Ireland, are not having a referendum. And the question that the Opposition has got to answer is this. If after, ratif- if after ratification they have a referendum, they're essentially renegotiating our membership of the European Union, and that would put thousands of jobs in this country at risk. Everyone watching will see the Prime Minister will not answer the question. The truth is, all of us in this House promised a referendum. We have the courage of our convictions and are sticking to that promise. He has lost his courage, and that lot have lost their convictions. So let me ask him again. If he held a referendum, does he think he'd win it? Speaker, the last time a referendum was held on Europe, it was one with a massive majority. And let me, and let, let, me also, let me also say to him that the proposals that he puts forward puts our membership of the European Union at risk. And when will he not wake up to the fact that three and a half million jobs are dependent on our membership of the European Union, that 700,000 companies are trading with Europe, that 60% of our trade is with Europe, and all that is put at risk by conservative intransigence on Europe. And answer came there none. He says, 
He says that the constitutional he says that the constitutional concept has been abandoned, and yet this treaty includes an EU foreign minister, an EU president, an EU diplomatic service. It gets, I don't think Tony Blair is running for president of some feeble organisation. He's running to be president of the United States of Europe. This treaty gets rid of dozens of vetoes, and it gives the European Union, for the first time, the ability to get rid of further treaties without another treaty. If it looks like a constitution, it sounds like the constitution, that's because it is the constitution. Tony Blair found the courage to back a referendum. Why won't he? The Conservative Party is wrong. This is not the United States of Europe. The Conservative Party is wrong. Foreign policy is decided at an intergovernmental level. And as far as what he says about this institutional arrangement is concerned, what the former Chancellor says is what we have is now far less important than Maastricht. And they didn't have a referendum on Maastricht. If he wants to, if he wants to trade quotes... Why doesn't he try this one from the Honourable Member for Birmingham, Edgbaston, who was actually Labour's appointment to the organisation to draw up the Constitution? She said, a referendum was promised, it should be delivered. If Labour can't trust the people, why should the people trust Labour? Doesn't, Doesn't the Prime Minister understand that this is one of the reasons why our political system is so badly broken? All three parties in this House made a promise to our constituents for a vote on the EU Constitution. When we turn round and say you can't have it anymore, it's no wonder people feel cheated, people feel cynical, because promises made are promises being broken. Why can't the Prime Minister see the damage that he's doing? Mr Speaker, I've explained to the House, if this was a constitutional treaty, we'd be having a referendum. The constitutional concept was abandoned. And if he wishes to persist in talking about the United States of Europe and a constitutional treaty, he has no support in the rest of Europe. Indeed, the only party that supports him in Europe, the Czech party, say the document is no constitution anymore. Now, Mr. Speaker, if his party had really changed and moved to the centre, he'd be standing up to his backbenchers, he'd be leading them instead of following them. He'd be standing up to the Eurosceptics instead of appeasing them. He'd be moving to the centre of Europe instead of being left at the margins of Europe. Mr Speaker, the opportunities for young people to receive a higher education are greater than ever before. Could I ask my right honourable friend if Swindon, with its high employment but low skills base, is a suitable candidate to bid for a much-needed new university? Mr Speaker, she is absolutely right. There are many towns and cities in this country who will want a university or a higher education institution in the next few years. And as we expand higher education and further education, because we are investing more in education and not cutting it, There will be scope for towns and cities in this country to apply to become universities or to have higher education institutes. And that's the right way forward for Swindon and it's the right way forward for many towns and cities in this country. And I hope people will support the increase in educational investment that makes that possible. The Honourable Gentleman, the Right Honourable Gentleman. Order! Order! The Right Honourable Gentleman. 
Mr Speaker, may I add my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends of Sergeant Dwayne Barwood. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister once said uh, that he would, and I quote, build a wider, wider pro-European movement in Britain. How does he think he's going to achieve that? By colluding with the anti-European Conservatives to block the in-out referendum that the British people really want. Mr Speaker, by not walking out of the House of Commons for a start, by not saying that there is a principle in abstention when it comes to a European issue, and I tell him we will lead the agenda about the future of Europe, we will lead on the environment, we will lead on international development, we will lead on the approach to globalisation, and we will lead on security. There is not much principle, Mr Speaker, in recommending abstention. Leadership, but the fact is that he's bottled it. And as far as I can make out, and as far as I can make out, the leader of the Conservatives wants to leave the European Union, but hasn't got the guts to say it. Isn't the truth this: that this country will never lead in Europe until politicians who believe in the European Union have the courage to stand up for it, and politicians who want to leave it are flushed out in an honest debate on our membership? I agree with him entirely. The Conservative Party leadership is being driven by the Eurosceptics on their back venture. And I also, I also agree with him that we need to put the pro-European case in the country. But I have to say to him, to go back to the 1970s and relive a referendum in the 1970s is not the way to plan for the future. The way to plan for the future is to have an agenda for a global Europe, which is exactly what this government has. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In a couple of weeks' time, free national uh, bus travel is being introduced for pensioners. However, North East Lincolnshire Council is chucking pensioners off the bus before 9.30 in the morning and blaming the government. Will my right honourable friend tell the residents of Grimsby and Cleethorpes it isn't the government doing this, but a case of the Lib Dems stealing their bus passes? Mr. Speaker. I am proud that this government has made it possible to have free local pensioner travel and now free off-peak national pensioner travel. And that is why we have made available £650 million over the next three years. We consulted local authorities. We agreed to the scheme that they put forward. £650 million has been made available. There is no excuse for local authorities denying pensioners the right to travel throughout the country. That is something that is right, is something that can be done and it's something should happen from next month. Thank you, Mr Speaker. There are currently six police investigations underway into the conduct of government in London. The most recent allegations are that the London Mayor's Director for Equalities and Policing has been channelling public funds into organisations run by friends and cronies. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that this is completely unacceptable? Mr Speaker, as uh, on any occasion where a matter referring to a police investigation is raised, I have to say that this is a matter of the police. It should be fully investigated, but it is not a matter for this House until the police complete their investigation. The, the point is, while these accusations are going on, while this investigation is underway, the Mayor, the Labour Mayor, has said he trusts Lee Jasper with his life. And last night, last night he said he is already planning to reappoint him. Doesn't every element of the Prime Minister's moral compass tell him that this is wrong? 
Mr. Speaker, as, as, as I understand it, uh, the person he's talking about has resigned and is no longer in the employment. And I, and I, have, and I have to say, I, I, have, I have to say also, if he wishes to support the police in their investigation, why does his candidate for the Mayor of London say that the first target for cuts is transport and policing? That is the Conservative Party, cutting transport and cutting policing. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Could I, could I ask my right honourable friend if he's seen uh, reports in today's press of condemnation by a United Nations Drug Control Agency of a celebrity cocaine culture in the United Kingdom? Having seen the devastating. <laughs> having, having seen. Having seen the devastating effect of drugs on young lives in my constituency of Notley South, would he take this opportunity to agree with me that, quite simply, there's nothing glamorous about drug abuse? Mr. Speaker, uh, one of the good things of recent years is that the number of people using drugs appears to have fallen. It is also true, it is also true that the numbers of people receiving drug treatment is up. And we have doubled the budget that is available for people receiving treatment for drugs. But I, but I have to agree with him that it is very important when there are celebrities and role models for young people that they send out the proper messages. Some of our role models and celebrities send out the right message about the damage of drugs. But I hope those people who take a casual attitude to drugs will think again and remember the message as celebrities they're sending out to young people in our country. Speaker, the Prime Minister speaking of education boasts of opportunity for all, but has he forgotten that under his stewardship the number of young people not in education, employment or training has soared to one and a quarter million? Does the Prime Minister believe that the principal reason for that failure is that nine in ten jobs go to foreign workers, or is it, or is it because 40,000 school leavers leave at 16 functionally illiterate and or innumerate. Mr Speaker, he seems to forget that there are about half a million more young people in education after school than when we came into power in 1997. So far from them being less young people in education, there are more. He has also forgotten that there are more young people in work now than it's since 1997 and youth unemployment is down 80%. Yes, there is an issue about young people who fall through the net. And there is an issue about young people who leave school without qualifications. But the only way to deal with it is the measures that we are taking to raise the opportunities for people to the age of 18 and not to cut them as the Conservative Party would do. Mr Speaker, in view of the soaring costs of energy to consumers and the soaring profits of energy companies, will my right honourable friend give serious consideration to imposing a windfall levy on these profits with a view to increasing the winter fuel allowance for pensioners by £200 for next winter? Mr Speaker, as, as he knows, the head of uh, Ofgen uh, has set up an inquiry into the market in electricity, indeed the market covering energy in this country. It is right that he pursues an investigation to see whether competition is working effectively in the industry. It is also true, as a result of the European Emissions Trading Scheme, uh, that there has been uh, windfall profits uh, made by the energy companies, and that is a matter on which the head of Ofgen has commented as well. I have to say to him that the energy companies have made available additional money this year 
to help people on low incomes pay the fuel bills, but that is a small amount in relation to what the government is doing with the winter allowance. And we have a winter allowance of £200 for the over 60s, and of course we have a winter allowance of £300 for the over 80s. In this winter, where people are experiencing high utility bills, the winter allowance that we are giving is absolutely crucial. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Since last November, the government has secretly trebled the bribe offered to foreign national prisoners to go home. Is the reason why the government has done this in secret because it's failed? Mr. Speaker, two years ago, only 1,500 foreign national prisoners were leaving and being thrown out of this country. Last year, as a result of the actions we've taken, it has more than doubled to 4,200. And I think it is right that we get as many foreign national prisoners who are in British prisons back to their country of origin as quickly as possible. And I would have hoped that he would support the measures we are taking to get people back to their country of origin. Number five, Mr. Speaker. Honourable members, when they make a mistake. The Honourable Lady. Uh, in the week when we are celebrating both Mother's Day and International Women's Day, would my right honourable friend commit to helping improve maternal and child health programmes in developing countries through improvements in reproductive health services, particularly through the International Health Partnership? Mr. Speaker, there would be no better way to um, mark International Women's Day than to take action to deal with infant mortality and maternal mortality. And I, I, would have thought all si I would have thought all sides of the House would think it a tragedy that half a million mothers die unnecessarily every year in childbirth, and that in a country like Sierra Leone, one mother in every seven dies in childbirth bringing into life a baby while herself dying. And that's why it's very important that the international health partnership that we formed takes action to deal with that maternal mortality. It needs more nurses, more midwives, more help with treatment in these countries. I'm very grateful to my honourable friend because she has put this issue on the agenda in this country. And if the opposition would get serious about issues relating to maternal mortality, then perhaps together as a House we'd take action on this matter. Speaker, will the Prime Minister join with me in congratulating the Right Honourable Member for North Antrim yeah. and, and First Minister for Northern Ireland on his announcement yesterday that he plans to stand aside from the, from the position uh, as First Minister? Will, will he join me in congratulating him on f almost 40 years in this House of resolve and determination not to give in to terrorism? And will he also join with the First Minister, myself and my colleagues? and reassuring all of those who want to see continuity in Northern Ireland that true Democrats will have nothing to fear from the next DUP First Minister in the Assembly. Yeah. The Honourable Member is absolutely right. Um, uh, I think all of us want to pay tribute to the work that the First Minister did in making possible the final stages of the peace uh, process. 
the work he's done when he has been First Minister in Northern Ireland, his resolute determination to stand up to terrorism at every point, and his decision to work with other parties for reconciliation in Northern Ireland. I had the privilege of phoning him last night and thanking him for the work that he'd done as First Minister, but I hope the whole House will join me in not only remembering that he's served 40 years in this House, but he's played a historic role in the peace settlement in Northern Ireland. Dr Phyllis Starkey. In, um, in Nelson Keynes, the Open University, De Montfort, Luton and Northampton Universities and Milton Keynes College are already collaborating through universities for Milton Keynes to provide higher education courses for 700 students locally. Would my right honourable friend confirm that this is just the type of initiative that the new university challenge is for and that Milton Keynes will be one of those that is successful in gaining one of the 20 new universities? The, the Minister for, uh, for Universities made uh, what I believe is a very important announcement on Monday uh, that uh, for 20 universities or higher education institutes in future he was prepared to make a designation of a town or a city in the United Kingdom. And I hope that uh, all cities and towns will look at whether they can add to the higher education and university amenities. And I hope that there will be many who will submit uh, in this process. Uh, Milton Keynes has done a historic job as the home of the Open University. Uh, everybody acknowledges that the Open University is known throughout the world. Uh, and for the Milton Keynes, uh, with the size it now is, to apply for university status, uh, I believe that it will be welcomed in every part of the country. Turning to the European Treaty, what polling or survey evidence did the Prime Minister have on what the result of a referendum would have been? The, the, the one poll that people look at is when you actually have a referendum. In 1975, there was a referendum. That referendum recorded a yes vote with more than two-thirds of the population voting yes. And I, I, have, I, have to say, I have to say to the Conservative Party, most of these people who were in in 1992 walked through the lobbies to oppose a referendum on Maastricht. Now they are asking for a referendum on a treaty that is far less significant than Maastricht. I think they should be thinking again about their position. Morgan. Um, thank you, Mr Speaker. I know my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, wants to engage and involve young people in their communities as volunteers and in the democratic process. Um, does he agree that lowering the voting age to 16 would help bring this about? Well, well, well Mr Speaker, the government in its uh, white paper on the Constitution said we would consider lowering the voting age to 16. And that is now part of a debate that will take place in the country. On Friday, we announced the appointment of Jonathan Tong as chair of the Youth Citizens Commission, and it will look at these issues. I believe it's got to look at issues not just in relation to the voting age, but the education in the curriculum on citizenship and whether there is a case for a citizenship ceremony when people come of age. These are all issues that should be part of a public debate. And Winterton? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is it not ironic, Mr Speaker, that whilst our armed forces are fighting so courageously and losing lives to bring democracy to Iraq and Afghanistan, this House, through the Lisbon Treaty, is handing, is handing powers to our masters in Brussels, thereby, thereby further destroying the democratic right 
of the British people yeah. to bring about change through the ballot box. Mr Speaker, we have a parliament, we have a democracy, we are having debates on this very treaty in this House as part of our democracy. And I think she should be honest with the House. She was a member of the campaign. I, 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 hope, I hope that Conservatives... I hope, Mr Speaker, Conservatives putting the case for the referendum uh, will tell the House what they really want. The, cons the Conservatives putting the case for the referendum want a no vote in the referendum. Many of them want to renegotiate our membership of the European Union. They are not simply anti the amending treaty, they are anti Europe. Question 9, Mr. Speaker. I visited Leicestershire in September and I visited uh, policing in the community. I look forward to returning to the area soon. The tailor, Mr. Speaker, when he comes to North West Leicestershire, he will receive a warm welcome, not least from the area's uh, general practitioners uh, who have implemented uh, our government's primary care, who have implemented our government's primary care policies very successfully since 1997. Will he meet those like the highly respected uh, Dr. Oris Mulker, whose experience with polyclinics abroad indicates that they may well be a step too far, which will lead to a, a lower regard for generalist doctors, damage the GP-patient relationship and uh, be wasteful and demoralising as a consequence. Mr Speaker, the, the key priority is that we have more doctors who are serving their communities and serving their communities not just during working hours but in the evenings and at weekends. And that's why I think it is right that in every area of the country we are investing more in the GP service and I hope our GPs will vote for the three extra hours that will allow half the practices in this country to offer weekend opening or evening opening so that doctors are available for people at the time they need it and when they need them. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Is the Prime Minister aware that St Anne's Hospice in Heald Green, in my constituency, needs to raise £16,000 a day just to keep going? And is he further aware that the respected charity Help the Hospices claims that government funds only one-third of the total re uh, requirement needed? Will the Prime Minister tell us what he's going to do about this problem, and will he agree to meet an all-party delegation to discuss the matter in more detail? Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course I'll be very happy to meet a, an all-party delegation. The work of hospices uh, and the great uh, contribution they make is something that should be commended in every part of the country. I think it's true to say that we're providing more finance for hospices than ever before. We will continue to look at what we can do. We continue to value the service that is given by volunteers as well as professionals in this area. And when we meet, we will discuss what future funding needs hospices have. Geraldine Smith. Does the Prime Minister agree, and I think he will, that, <laughs> that holding, holding a referendum on the EU treaty would be tantamount to Parliament abrogating its responsibilities? But, 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 does he accept that many people in Britain regard the European Union as a bureaucratic monolithic monstrosity that unduly interferes in the economic, social and political issues facing our nation. And what's he going to do to alter this perception? Mr Speaker, I'm afraid, I'm afraid I don't entirely 
I don't entirely agree with her second point. Uh, we, we are proposing uh, major changes in the European Union so that the European Union is more outward-looking, is more global in its orientation, is more flexible and less bureaucratic. But on her first point, let us be absolutely clear, on every other amending treaty for the European Union, this has been a decision of this House and not a referendum. The single European Act, Nice, Amsterdam, Maastricht, all, all were decided within this House. And it is the Conservative Party that have changed the mind, not the Labour Party. With the prison population at record levels, prison service managers are understandably trying to use every available place they can find. But for members of this House with open prisons in their constituency, there is a concern that security vetting is being relaxed because there are spare places in open prisons. Will the Prime Minister make sure there's an investigation and will he guarantee that security vetting is not relaxed simply because of pressure on prison places? Mr Speaker, I understand that security vetting does uh, uh, take place. I think the important thing for him to recognise is, is this. We have uh, created uh, 20,000 more prison places over the last 10 years. Even this year, there will be a rise in prison places from 82,000 to 85,000, and we're creating 15,000 more prison places in the years to come. The reason that we're doing that is because we have brought more offences to justice. Five years ago, a million offences were brought to justice. Now it's 1.4 million, and that is a tribute to good policing in this country and because we have been prepared to invest in the police services with the public expenditures we make. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Cluster munitions over the last few years have killed and maimed tens of thousands of innocent civilians. Now the Oslo process, involving more than 130 nations, including the UK, offers us a way of ridding the world of these weapons forever. Can my right honourable friend commit to showing the same sort of resolve in dealing with cluster munitions that this government showed when we rid the world of landmines? I, I can tell him that weapons that cause unacceptable harm uh, are something that uh, we have got to negotiate about. We're engaged in a negotiation on this, and of course the Defence Secretary will report back to the House when that negotiation is completed. Order. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.